0: In the Ring with Eusebius Macaiza. Eusebius Welcome to another edition of In the Ring with Eusebius Mackayza. I've tried over the last couple of months to think about what the distinctive focus of this podcast is, given that I now have two podcasts that I am hosting. The other one is Eusebius on Times Live, which connects with my work for Arena Holdings, the holding company of a number of major titles, including. TimesLive.co.za, The Sunday Times, Business Day, Sowetan, amongst others. And while there is no clear division between the two thematically, Eusebius on Times Live focuses in detail, particularly on South African-specific content. And In the Ring with Eusebius MacKaiser is about more universal themes that will be of interest to any listener anywhere in the world. Obviously those distinctions are to some extent academic and impossible to maintain because a local story can be of universal interest and similarly as South Africans we cannot afford to be parochial and so I also need to make sure that the content on Eusebius on Times Live places South Africa internationally. But broadly speaking, I have a bias on this podcast towards material that does not require you to be an expert on South Africa and that raises ethical, philosophical, political questions that are of global interest. Why am I telling you all that? Because this installment is a South African issue, but I think it raises really interesting international and global questions about the relationships between political parties and the media. The example that will drive this entry is South African-specific, but the issue is universal. And so the brief context before I read an essay that I had written for timeslife.co.za is that there is a South African editor of one of our major titles called City Press, Mondli Makanya, who has for many years written about the leader of one of the opposition parties called Inkatha Freedom Party, or the IFP, as it's known here in South Africa. And you may or may not be aware that besides anti-black violence on the part of empire, the colonialists, the apartheid regime, there was also a lot of black-on-black violence, some of it fomented by the white apartheid regime, and we've never in public discourse reckoned with that aspect of our past. What Mondly has done as an editor and as a columnist for many years is to write about the IFP in particular and its leader, and as he sees it, the way in which the founding leader of the party, Mangusutu Buthelezi, has been implicated directly in criminal acts, murderous acts, against fellow black South Africans. Now, the IFP, as you might imagine, is not pleased with the multiple columns that he has written over the years. They've decided this forthcoming week to march on the offices of the newspaper. To what end, I'm not quite sure, their press statement doesn't make it clear. But I decided to write... On this matter because I think that the decision by the political party to march to the offices of the newspaper is a wrong decision on their part. I do not dispute their right to protest but I think reducing this to law misses out on very important details from a political point of view, a strategy point of view and in terms of how power is diffused in society What you are signaling symbolically, including to your followers, when you release a statement saying, let's gather next Friday so that we can march on the offices of a party. Even if, sincerely, you might have a peaceful protest in mind. And I think this is a universal story. Why do I think so? Because political parties, particularly the ones in power, the IFP happens to be in the opposition, are enormous sources of power. And they are potential future governments, if not already incumbent governments. And how they relate to the media, to writers, to artists, matter in any democracy. And then the question becomes, how much should political parties and leaders take criticism on the chin? How should they respond to criticism they deem to be unfair? And if they have a legal right, like the rest of us, to protest peacefully... Does it follow from having the right that you should exercise it? Those questions, I think, are pertinent across the world right now, because the stakes are so high, and political elite and political parties wish to ascend to power, and those who are governing want to reproduce their governance power. And so the decision of the IFP to march on City Press's office could have played out in Istanbul. This could have been in london this could have been parts of western europe or in north america for that matter and so i'm simply going to voice my article critiquing the ifp you don't have to agree with me but i hope that will give you something to think about title the ifp wants unconditional love so it's protesting against a lowly newspaper man What is the point of the IFP? If anyone knows, I would love you to tell me. For months I have been ruminating over this and delaying critical engagement with historical material on the party and talking to its leadership. Sporadic electoral successes in KwaZulu-Natal, for example, seem as much a consequence of ANC and DA missteps as anything intentional and coherent that the IFP is doing politically. What and who are they in modern South Africa? A press statement from the IFP caught my eye and deserves some serious attention, but let's take a break from that assignment and tackle some wild stuff the party is organising. On Friday, the IFP is doing something stupid. They will be marching on the offices of City Press to protest against quote the abuse by the paper's editor Mondli Makanya. The party has accused him of, quote, masquerading as a journalist, end quote, and that he has, quote, harbored a personal political grudge against the IFP, quote, for decades. Citing Anthea Jeffrey's book, The People's War, the IFP says Makanya, quotes, participated in the black-on-black violence of the past, and took pleasure participating and seeing IFP members maimed. End of quote. They claim Makanya breaches his own editorial code of conduct, peddling, quote, unsubstantiated opinions and blatant lies, particularly about the IFP's founder and president emeritus, Prince Buttelezi. quote. And so the party is going to march to the city press offices and make unspecified demands. But here's why the planned actions are stupid. Your commitment to freedom of the press and conscience is not demonstrated by your press statement. That is no more convincing than a wife-beater insisting he is opposed to gender-based violence. What you do, rather than what you claim to stand for, tells us about who you truly are. In this case, the plan of the IFP tells us it is intolerant of speech rights and of criticism of the President Emeritus. It is no small thing for an entire political party to be unleashed against the journalists. That smacks of overreach in response to provocation and even of political thuggery. The best way to embarrass Makanya is to win the argument. Protesting at the offices of a newspaper is not an argument. It is intimidation. All the guy did and has been doing is writing columns, about Butelezzi's political past and personal history. Some readers are titillated for sure. Many simply are amused by the editor's discursive preoccupation with Butelezzi. Still others share the IFP's view that Makanya is obsessed with the founding leader of the IFP and maybe even that he has an unhealthy crush on him. But that is the point in a way, isn't it? We each, as readers with brains, judge the work of writers, journalists, columnists and editors for ourselves. I happen to think Makanya is an entertaining and usefully provocative and often very cogent scribe. It does not follow that I agree with everything he writes. Saying this should be trite, quite frankly. Agreement is not a precondition for liking someone's work. Agreement is also not a precondition for accepting someone's right to their view. On Butelezi, for example, I am bored with, quote, this lowly paperman, which is how ...Mondley self refers, going on about the IFP with gay abandon. But the IFP must leave me, the reader, to judge the editor to be overwriting on the subject... ...rather than marching on the offices of the newspaper... ...as if fearing readers cannot distinguish bullshit from evidence-based argument. Leave it to the marketplace of ideas to debate what the fairest historical view of the President Emeritus is. Enter the arena of argument, IFP rather than the arena where the newspaper is located the press statement for example is so lame and devoid of critical engagement it neither tells us what makanya has written that they disagree with nor does it even hint at refutation it simply contains personal attacks and signals presumably to its members and supporters here in johannesburg to get ready to gather and march this forthcoming friday that is pathetic antithetical to the ideals and express values of our constitutional democracy, and most of all, without a hint of irony, a verbal performance of the kind of violence the IFP is accusing Makanya of being implicated in. How do you take the moral high ground by wanting to gag an interlocutor and aiming to have a chilling effect on speech rights? What the IFP should have done is simple. Either nothing, and leaving it to me as a reader to roll my eyes at Makanya and to move along with the rest of my Sunday after scanning City Press, or by simply writing a stunning response. The essay media is very accessible. Furthermore, with new media, you don't even need an editor's permission to write a response to something in their publication before you are able to do so anyway and distribute it quickly and widely across all sorts of channels where the traditional editor is not in charge, but where their readers will see your response to what had appeared on the original platform. The IFP is not hated by the media. Radio and TV channels, plus city press itself, would happily provide ample space for IFP leadership, or any academic or intellectual to deconstruct Makanya's view of butelesi Many platforms would host a debate even. Aim to defeat the editor intellectually with logic and evidence and by outshining him rhetorically. That is what Democrats do in a society founded on a commitment to speech rights, including vigorous debate. But the IFP, it seems, wants to be loved unconditionally, rather than embracing deep and open disagreement, including, as such, a willingness to debate the historical record. If Makanya is so obviously wrong, why not calmly demonstrate sentence by sentence where his writing falls flat? Why are you so touched by obvious falsehoods? It is mind-boggling. I want to hear the IFP communications team getting into the substance of the issues, rather than, as this press statement does, speaking around the editor's claims and simply labelling him someone who is masquerading as a journalist. That is not argument and certainly not refutation. Colourful and hominem responses are at best entertaining, but do not show up the views held by the person you are insulting. And by the way, if the IFP itself thinks all Makanya is engaging in is slander of Butelezi, that is devoid of evidence, that too can and should be pointed out clinically and logically. Instead, the party is opting for tit-for-tat bile-filled responses, There's nothing politically savvy about how the IFP is handling this. The way in which, in turn, we respond as writers, editors, journalists, and even artists to such intolerance from the subjects of our work matters. I was reminded and dug up debates about Brett Murray's The Spear, which played out 10 years ago now. The painting, you may recall, depicted then-President Jacob Zuma with his genitalia exposed in a stance reminiscent of Vladimir Lenin. ANC leaders, falling over themselves to suck up to Zuma, expressed rage at Murray, the art gallery that hosted the work, and newspapers that published the image of the painting. Sidekicks of Zuma were out chanting each other in a chorus of, Don't buy, city press, don't buy! The then-editor, Ferrell Hafoji, made a massive error in my view, succumbing to the pressure by deciding to take the image off their website. Others, like my Arena Holdings colleague, Peter Bruce, were unusually coy too, arguing that Zuma did, quote, not deserve the depiction, and that Silly Press should not, on grounds of taste alone, have published the image in the first place. These editorial views, to my mind, still today, Are not very sober. Feeling slighted is not a sufficient reason to have someone's view of you either in the form of a column or a work of art censored. The Murray saga should remain a lesson to creatives to not run away from intolerant people who cannot fathom the idea of a vast range of views about them. Some flattering, some fiercely negative, even, and some indifferent or falling along the spectrum of possibilities. That is what happens in a discourse. It is part of what we signed up for, and for good reason, when we built a liberal democratic edifice. Obviously, the right to dignity cannot be limited under any circumstances. The mistake we should not make, however, is to interpret the right to dignity to mean that I have a right not to be offended. Any editor, artist, journalist, or writer who does not fight for the space to offend their subject will regret ceding irrational ground to those who are intolerant of our work. This is why there must be support for Makanya and City Press, rather than indifference or silence from other media houses. If they can plan a march on City Press, they can again target an artist or a cartoonist or another broadcaster or columnist. Ironically, Bruce himself now knows how horrid it is when political thugs who are intolerant of speech rights invade your private space as a lazy substitute for entering the arena of argument. We must defend our right to make a President Emeritus feel upset about our take on their place in history. The IFP can always, at any rate, take Makanya to the press ombud and test their claim that there are press code violations in his print media content. In this instance, however, they do have a high bar to overcome. Our jurisprudence is solid and sensible, on what constitutes fair comment, which is why Justice Edwin Cameron in the case of Robert McBride versus The Citizen argued that, quote, criticism of a public figure is protected even if extreme, unjust, unbalanced, exaggerated and prejudiced, so long as it expresses an honestly held opinion without malice, on a matter of public interest, on facts that are true, end of quote. The newspaper had labelled McBride a criminal and murderer. Furthermore, argued Cameron, even if the view of the newspaper was distasteful or vengeful, quote, it is good for democracy, good for social life, and good for individuals to permit maximally open and vigorous discussion of public affairs, end of quote. So imputing even vengeful motive to Macania or regarding the spear as distasteful, does not constitute sufficient grounds to conclude that we are witnessing fundamental rights violations. The bottom line is that the IFP should simply demolish the falsehoods it sees in the work of Makanya by engaging an open and evidence-informed debate on the substantive historical issues. Marching to city press, however, is at best an utter waste of time and at worst a misguided and vicious attempt to intimidate someone whose views you do not like or do not agree with. The IFP is bored, desperate to be in the news, scared of a debate with Makanya on the veracity of his claims, or not committed to speech rights. All of these are embarrassing outcomes for the IFP, and needlessly so. Which makes me even more curious to seek an answer to my homework question. What is the point of the IFP?